Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And this is the description of Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12.1. Hebrews 12.1, which says, Wherefore, seeing, he wants you to see this, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, run with patience the race that is set before us. What he's saying there is that, look, you know, you, you, um, you know I don't know how I swim, you know, so I swim in a lot of mornings. So I swim, and I kind of swim, you know, and swim, you know, and move my 100 laps, you know. But if somebody's there watching me, I swim faster. <laughs> because I watch my time, I say, well, look at that, I finished three minutes faster, you know. This is the point of this verse, is it's saying, look, you know, uh, you're swimming, but you're being watched. You're being watched by a lot of people here, so, so get rid of that sin. Don't, don't let that sin stay around there. Okay, so the question is, how would our lives be different if we saw our lives as a city that's set on a hill that can't be hid. It, it, it reminds me of uh, a long time ago, decades ago, where, where an enemy, of, we had an internal enemy in our company and uh, who got uh, copies of all of our emails and then to hurt us, gave them to the local newspaper that printed some of them. And so all of a sudden, you know, we got the newspaper word, shocked to read these, 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 these emails and, and that never should have been written. And I remember as I was reading them saying to myself, do we really write that? <laughs> How could we have written that? Now, from that experience that, that we, 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 we tell everybody, we started telling everybody and we tell today, don't ever write an email that you wouldn't feel comfortable about seeing on the front page of the newspaper because that's what we did. And, and we tell our staff that, all of that. And that experience changed us as a company, and it made our company to see itself as a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Now, the Bible describes the city, this, this concept of the city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid in 1 Corinthians 4.9. 1 Corinthians 4.9. 1 Corinthians 4.9 says, We are a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. Now, it's very interesting that the word spectacle in 1 Corinthians 4.9 is the Greek word theatron, theatron, which is where we get our word theater from. So it's interesting. Um, you know, at Scanabody's Takati, we have a big auditorium. It seats 2,000 people. And the lighting is set up kind of strange because when you're on the stage there and the lights are, are in your face, and, and they make, and they make the, the audience dark. You know that, Jose Luis, you know. And they make the audience dark. 
you can't see anyone in the audience. And it's very strange because you, know, you don't know who you're, you're talking to darkness is what you're doing, you know, it's very strange. Anyway, and, and if you don't know it, there might be 2,000 people out there or there might be no one out there because you can't see anyone. Well, what 1 Corinthians 4.9 is saying is that we are living our lives on a type of stage where we can't see the audience because the audience, the audience is there. It is there. As a matter of fact, that's what it's saying in 1 Corinthians 4.9, 1 Corinthians 4.9, where it says we are a spectacle, a theater, and it talks about the audience, unto the world and to angels and to men. So we, we're, we are made an exposed theater spectacle like a city that's set on a hill that can't be hid, and we're completely exposed. And, 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 we've, and we've all been on the phone. We've all been on the phone, and, and we've had the conversation, and the conversation starts off, maybe, maybe somebody says it to you, or maybe it's a most of the time it's a recording. This conversation may be, or this conversation is being recorded, and they say for quality purposes, and you never believe it's for quality purposes, but anyway, that's what they say. So people think about that. They think about that when they speak to the persons because, because they realize that what they are saying is being recorded. And they may have to listen to themselves again in a very uncomfortable situation, so they think twice about what they say. Well, to live life, as this verse 14, as a city that's set on a hill which cannot be hid, it means to know that all of our words are being recorded, not for quality purposes, but, but for the Lord's purpose, which are explained in Matthew 12, 37. Matthew 12, 37 says, for by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. All right, so this idea in verse 14 of being a city that is set on a hill which cannot be hid, and, ver- and, he, and th- th- that, that's the verse 14, a city that on it set on a hill that can't be hid, and along with the Hebrews 12.1, Hebrews 12.1, compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, along with the 1 Corinthians 4.9, theater spectacle unto the world, to angels and to men, you can put it all together, reminds us of Samson. Samson, oh, Samson. Samson is wonderful and painful. How can one person be wonderful and painful? That's Samson. Because Samson, when you see him here in the private bedroom with Delilah, or at least he thought he was his private bedroom, he thought he was alone in the private bedroom with Delilah, where, who he had no business being with, where he had no business being. But okay, he was there. And it says in Judges 16.9, Judges 16.9, when he's in this private bedroom having his way with this woman. In, in, in Judges 16.9, it says, now there were men lying in wait, abiding with her in the chamber. I mean, I don't know if you, I don't think you want to picture that scene in your mind, but if you just, that's horrible. So there's Samson. He has no idea that there's men hiding in the room. And she said unto him, Philistines be upon thee, Samson. He break the widths as the thread of tow is broken, touched the fire, so his strength was, was not known. So after that episode, Samson returns again to this so-called private bedroom with Delilah. And if that's not a picture of sin, the failure of man to stop returning to sin. And then we read in, in, again in, in Judges 16.12, Judges 16.12, Delilah therefore took two new ropes and bound him therewith and said unto him, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And there were liars in wait 
abiding in the chamber. So there's Samson. He's in this bedroom these times with Delilah, and he's thinking he's all alone, and no one can see him, no one can hear him there, but in reality, he's in a theater stage and is a spectacle in front of these Philistine men who are lying in wait, waiting to gouge his eyes out. And, and, and if we could have said something to Samson at that time, we could have said, Samson, don't be a fool. Get out of there. Get away from this Delilah. You're on a stage. The audience is your enemy. They're watching you. You're in the, in the bedroom with Delilah. Just like today, when a person enters into his room, he shuts the door, he turns on his computer to watch some pornography. He's on a stage. There's a great audience watching him. It's like the picture of the little boy who closes his eyes and says, my eyes are closed, that means no one can see me. See? <laughs> okay. now. Now, now, the Lord now uses the example of a person who lights a candle in the house in verse 15. Verse 15, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are, that are in the house. Now, here's the point. The point of what he just said is that <clears throat> the candle is elevated to give the lights. As a matter of fact, how much the candle is able to light the house depends upon how high the candle is raised or it's elevated. The lower the candle is, the less light it gives in the house. The higher the candle is, the more light it gives, spreads out. Now, the, the Bible calls the gospel light in, first, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, where it says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So the gospel is not just any light. The gospel is called, in this verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the glorious light. It's the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. So the gospel is a glorious light because the gospel shines out the glory of the love of God. The gospel is, 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 is unbelievable. The gospel is God the Father is so loving the world that he gave God the Son who became the sinless man that enters the world with the name of Jesus and who takes on him all of our sins. He takes on him all of our sins. You know, we say that so often, Jesus died for my sins. Those were the sins that he took on him that condemned us. Those were the sins that caused us to be sentenced to be cast into hell forever. Those were the sins that separated us from God in life. And Jesus took all of our awful, condemning sins on himself, and he died for our sins on the cross so that we don't have to be condemned for our sins. And so we don't have to be sentenced to be cast into hell. So we don't have to die in our sins. We don't have to be separated from God. That's what he did. And the gospel is that he died for our sins, he was buried, and then his burial, our sins were buried. And the gospel is that he was raised from, from the dead to life again, which means that God the Father accepted his, his death as the full payment for our sins. That's the gospel. And there's nothing, there, there's nothing ho-hum about that. That, that, that. that gospel is a light that guides sinners to salvation from their sins, and the gospel, therefore, is a glorious light. Now, when the gospel light of the, when the, the gospel light is lifted up, it gives light to everyone around that hears the gospel. And, and last week I had this opportunity to, to lift up the glorious light of the gospel, and it all started on Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday morning. 
when I was on a crowded Volardi's flight with, with 174 passengers on it from Tijuana to Loreto. And, and, I, and, and I had to take the middle seat, which for my dimensions is not the seat I like. But the Lord put me in the middle seat of that flight because that seat, why did he put me in the middle seat of that flight? Because that seat was right in the middle of a Jewish couple <laughs> who were not sitting together. They had the most, because they were hoping no one would sit in that middle seat. And they were certainly hoping that no one large would sit in that middle seat. And there I was in that middle seat between them. And, and so I wanted to establish a relationship with them and we got to know each other and as, especially the, the, the Jewish woman got to know my jacket very well because it kept encroaching on her space and for the hour and a half flight, she kept pushing my jacket over to my side. Okay, now, I didn't give the light, I didn't give the gospel of the glorious light uh, to them because I invited them to come to my house in, in Loretto to, for dinner where I was planning to give them the gospel. And I was disappointed that, that they didn't come. They didn't come for dinner. Didn't come for the dinner. Jack didn't even answer the phone. Anyways, whatever. So, <clears throat> all right, okay. Oh, okay, I missed the opportunity. So now I planned on coming back from Loretto to Tijuana on Friday, a couple days ago. But there were no seats available. So I had to book a flight on Alaska Airlines that went through Los Angeles. But as I was leaving the house, I got delayed in getting to the airport. And, and what happened is I got there too late and they wouldn't let me on the plane. And I argued there. I argued with Marcos, who worked at the desk. And, you know, I see him all the time. And I, and, and, and I said, look, Marcos, there's still time to let me on the plane. And he says to me, Senor Thomas. <laughs> he says, Senor Thomas, we have 130 people on this Alaska Airlines flight. They all made it here on time, <laughs> he says it. And the door is closing now, and we're not going to keep it open for you. This is an international flight. You needed to be here an hour in advance, not 30 minutes. So I went home to went home to Loretto, and I made a new reservation on another crowded 174-passenger Volardi's flight from Loretto to Tijuana. And I chose the seat online that I wanted. But, I, but, but there was a hesitant, I, I, I hesitated, and I, and, and, and I hesitated, and right on the computer screen, someone grabbed the seat I wanted on this 174-passenger flight, and I was angry about that. So I got another seat, and this, again, a middle seat on this 174-passenger plane. And when I got on the plane, who do you think I was seated between? <laughs> that same Jewish couple. And, and, and during the flight, I, I was thinking about how, how, how God, out of all 174 seats, put me back in the middle of this, in between the Jewish couple. And it was like God said to me, isn't there some unfinished business that you need to take care of? And I said, oh, yeah, that's right. There is. There is the lifting up of the 2 Corinthians 4.4, glorious gospel that I didn't proclaim. So, so I, I, I did lifted up the, the gospel, but across the aisle from us, there was a man looking at me and listening to the gospel. And, all, and, 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 and so the, the, the light shined on him and two rows of seats around us. Now, later on Saturday, you know, I, 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 I was reviewing what happened. It was kind of something to think about. And, I, and, I, and, I, and, and when the plane was all, when the first flight I wanted, which was a Calafia flight, was all booked up, the Lord was saying to me, 
No, you're not supposed to be on this Friday flight. I got another flight for you to be on. And then when I made the reservation on Alaska Airlines going to L.A. and got there too late, that was the Lord saying, no, you're not supposed to be on this flight. I have another flight for you. And I was arguing with poor Marcus there let me on the flight, and I felt like Balaam arguing with the donkey, you know. And then when I chose the middle seat that I wanted and just waiting a little bit, someone jumped in and grabbed it in front of me. That was the Lord saying, no, you're not supposed to be in that seat. I have another seat for you to be in. And all that happened because the Lord wanted the glorious light of his gospel to be proclaimed to that Jewish couple and everyone else who went around within earshot. And that's what happened. Whenever we tell out the glorious gospel, the light, what we're doing is verse 15. Put it on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody that hears the glorious light of the gospel is gonna benefit from it, it's gonna be saved, because each person has only themselves to thank for whether they are saved or lost, because each person determines himself, only him, if he's gonna be saved by the gospel, and the best pick or not, and the best picture of this is the picture of, the, of, of Israel and the Gentiles. One of the most wonderful titles of the Lord Jesus Christ is, 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 a, is a title in Isaiah 60, verse one. Isaiah 60, verse one, where God calls Israel and says, in Isaiah 60, verse one, arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. When God called Israel to turn to him, he, he, he said, get up, your light, the light of Israel is come. And this is what it says in Isaiah 10, 17. Isaiah 10, verse 17. Isaiah 10, 17. The light of Israel shall be for a fire and the Holy One for a flame. So the light of Israel is God's Holy One, which means the light of Israel is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Israel's light. He is the light of Israel. And when God says in uh, Isaiah 60, verse 1, Isaiah 60, verse one, arise, shine, for thy light has come. God is saying to Israel, get up, your light is come to you. The light of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ, is come to you. And, when the, and the Lord explained to Nicodemus how to see the kingdom of God, how to enter into the kingdom of God. He said in, in, in John 3, 19, John 3, 19, this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest. Okay. It all depends on what a person does in response to the life. light. If he turns away from the light, because he loves darkness, doesn't come to the light, then he has determined himself that he will not be saved, that he'll be cast into hell. But if he turns to the light and comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, comes to the, the, the glorious light of the, of the gospel of Christ, then he'll be saved. And sadly, Israel did not turn to the light. They did not turn to the light of Israel. They did not turn to their light. As it says in John 1.11, John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But the Gentiles had a different response and, now, and, and that's in Isaiah 60, verse three. Isaiah 60, verse three, where the Lord said, the Gentiles, he was talking to Israel, and he says, the Gentiles shall come to thy light. The Gentiles, the Gentiles will come to the light of Israel. 
And many, are, many were saved by the glorious light of the gospel, by the light of Israel. So what was seen here is when the Lord said in, in, in these things, and then he finishes up in verse 16, let your light so shine before men, he meant be a light to the world, and the light we have comes from being a follower of the Lord Jesus because the spirit of Christ is inside of us. That's what it says in Romans 8, 9. Romans 8, 9, you're... He says, uh, the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is not of his. It means the Lord of light, the light of Israel, is dwelling inside of every follower of the Lord Jesus. He, and he calls that the light of life, as we saw. And, and, and therefore, he can say to them, let your light so shine before men. And what does a person do when they let their light shine before men? Philippians 2.15 Philippians 2, Philippians 2, describes to us two things a person does to let his light shine. It says there, Philippians 2.15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So in order, this verse 16, in order to let your light shine before men, in order to, Philippians 2.15, shine as lights in the world, there are several things that a person has to do. Really, there are three. I said there are two, there are three. First, the believer must not isolate himself from being in the crooked and perverse world. That means that the believer is not to join a Christian commune in Oregon that has a big fence around it and live off the land and have no contact with the world until he goes to heaven. No. He says, because why? Because that removes a person from Philippians 2.15, Philippians 2.15, being in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights. That's the first thing. Do not isolate yourself from the crooked and perverse world. Number two, in the midst of this crooked and perverse world, the believer is surrounded by sin, and he must be, Philippians 2.15, Philippians 2.15, blameless, blameless. Philippians 2.15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of the crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That means, that means James 1.27, James 1.27, keep himself unspotted from the world. If he keeps himself unspotted from the world, then he's gonna be blameless. And the last part, and number three, is in the midst of this crooked and perverse world, there's going to be a temptation for the believer to get angry and bitter and want to lash out from being surrounded by sin. That's why I call Fox News the, the anger channel, because it'll tell you all the reasons you got to be angry, this person, that person. But if a person develops a cynical and grumpy spirit, if he becomes a threatening person and he loses his cool, then his internal light will not shine. So in order for his light to shine before men, he must be what Philippians 2.15, Philippians 2.15 calls harmless, harmless, Philippians 2.15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So these are the ways that a believer lets his light shine when he is surrounded in the middle of a crooked and perverse world. He stays uncontaminated from sin and he remains joyful in the Lord. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Help us to meditate on it in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org.